0: We're in uh, lesson number five in the uh, series called The Essentials, which is the essentials of the Christian faith. And today we're going to deal with um, who is the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were to Google that question, you'd get 40,500,000 results. Um, I did it. My, uh, My suggestion is you don't look at any of those. And that we look at the Bible this morning to find out who is the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Now, um, this is one of those doctrines that is very misunderstood. It is uh, misused, misinterpreted, and as a result, it's underutilized. And it's one of the most significant doctrines in the Scriptures. Now, there are uh, different ideas as to who the Holy Spirit is. Two of the common ones is uh, that he is some kind of a force. This was maybe made a little popular uh, during the uh, 80s when the Star Wars movies came out. Remember that? May the force be with you. I mean, uh, this little green dude who's the uh, Master Yoda, who's the Jedi instructor talks about this force that's around us, this energy and how we need to connect with this energy and how we need to have an awareness of the force. And people started using it, well, it's sort of like the Holy Spirit, you know, may the force be with you. Well, not so. Another uh, common belief about the Holy Spirit is that uh, he doesn't exist. And the main reason people believe that he doesn't exist is because they can't see him. How can you believe in something that you cannot see? Well, when I think about people like that, I I think about our dear friend uh, Thomas in the Bible. You remember Thomas? After the resurrection, the disciples came to him and said, Thomas, Jesus is risen. He says, I don't believe it. He says, no, I'm not. I'm serious. He's risen. He says, I want to see him. And Thomas says, I not only want to see Jesus, but I want to see the prince in his hands. The nail prints. And I want to see the place where they pierced him with a spear. And so, wouldn't you know it, here they are gathered together, the door is being closed, and Jesus appears. And who does he call out to? Come here, Thomas. Come here. Take a look. Touch. You want to touch me? Touch. And you know what he said to Thomas? He says, Thomas, you believe. Because you have seen, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. That includes me. I haven't seen Jesus. That includes you. We are blessed because we believe, not having seen. And so, who exactly is the Holy Spirit? Well, I have a proposition. I want to tell you that he is God. In fact, he is fully God. Look at John chapter 14, uh, verses 16 through 17. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you And then verse 17, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father, in verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have commanded you. Now, let me give you a little background on this verse. This is towards the end of the Lord's ministry. In fact, this is the last evening that they're having together. The Lord Jesus is about to be crucified the next day. And he's sharing some very important truths with his disciples. And he tells them, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you another helper. Now, I want to point a couple of things out here to you. Um, the word another is one word in English, but in the Greek, there are two words that can be translated another one is allos, and one is eteros. We get the word heterosexual from the word heteros. So one is same another of the same kind and the other is another of a different kind. The word that Jesus used when he said I am going to send you another helper is the word allos which means of the same kind. You see the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus in the sense that the Holy Spirit is God. In fact, the context of this, the immediate context is, this, is the previous verse where Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And you know how hard it is to keep his commandments, right? So he knew they were going to need help. And so that's why he gave them this helper. And this helper is going to be exactly like the Lord Jesus, Of the same kind. He's the perfect substitute for the Lord Jesus. He is fully God just like the Lord Jesus. In fact later on he says in chapter 16 of John. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and and will disclose it to you. Just like Jesus and the Father acted in perfect harmony. The Holy Spirit and Jesus act in perfect harmony. Jesus came in the Father's name and now the Holy Spirit comes in Jesus name. And this helper is going to be with them forever. This is a new state of affairs. The helper that Jesus is going to send is not going to leave them any Even though Jesus is going to leave them. So the Holy Spirit is going to be with them forever. The Holy Spirit is God. He actually is of the same kind. And not only that, he does the things that only God can do. Turn to John 16 and look at what this verse says. John 16, 7 and 8. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if, if I go, I will send him to you. And now notice, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That sounds like God to me. The Holy Spirit is God. He does the things that only God can do. Not only that, he's included with the Father and the Son in Trinitarian passages. Look at this one, Matthew. 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus commissioned his followers to go into the whole world and to make disciples of nations, and he instituted water baptism, and he said the water baptism needs to be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and and the Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Godhead, equally represented. And so the Holy Spirit, make no doubt, is God. How about another passage, Second Corinthians 13, 14. At the very end of the letter, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. All three persons of the Godhead again together. How about another verse, First Peter 1, 1 and 2. Peter, talking about election, says, An apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Asia, elect according to, listen, foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctification of the Holy Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ. All three things connected. Three persons of the Godhead equally represented here in this passage again. Well, if you're still not convinced, then you're going to be convinced with this one. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, and let's look at verses, uh, verse 1. Let's begin with 1. It says, a certain man, here's what's happening. Ananias and Sapphira have sold a piece of property. And they were wanting to bring the price of that and give it to the apostles. But they actually hid a portion of it. And listen to what Peter says in verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have lied not to men, but to God. Wait a minute. He just said, Holy Spirit. Earlier he said you lied to the Holy Spirit. Now he says you actually lied to God. Well, there you go. The Holy Spirit, my friends, is God. Now, not only is the Holy Spirit God, but the Holy Spirit is also a person. He is a distinct person in the same way that the Father and Son are unique persons of the Godhead the 3 in 1 the holy spirit is a person because he possesses attributes of personhood intellect 1st corinthians 2:11 and 12 the verse talks about knowing the thoughts of god well you have to have some intelligence for that so he has intellect he has a mind because it says in romans 8:27 the mind of the spirit he has emotions because it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Well, how can an impersonal force grieve? The Holy Spirit is a person because the Holy Spirit has emotions. And it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, where it talks about the Holy Spirit distributing gifts according to his will. The Holy Spirit has a will. Now, not only that, he also speaks and directs. He sent out the first missionary team in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13. In fact, it's very interesting to look at this verse. The Holy Spirit says, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I think this is amazing that the Holy Spirit has this self-awareness. Because he uses the first person A singular pronoun as me and I. So this is a person speaking. The Holy Spirit speaks. In fact, throughout the history of the early church as recorded in Acts, the Holy Spirit communicated his will to believers. Philippians, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8 verse 29. Philip, remember that? Here's Philip. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and said, Philip. See that chariot over there? There's an Ethiopian eunuch in that chariot. I bet you if you go there, he'll give you a ride. No, that's not what he said. He says, get over there close to that chariot. He's reading something. Go get close to that chariot and see what he's reading. And you know the rest of the story. As Philip responds to the Holy Spirit, he goes down to the chariot. And the guy lets him in and says, give me some help. I'm reading from Isaiah. And he leads him into the truths of God. How about another example in uh, Peter, in Acts chapter 10, when uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and said, hey, you're going to have some visitors. And these were men that were sent by Cornelius to Peter. And, this was, and as you follow through the story, this is the uh, gentle Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends on the Gentiles. And later on in Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul. And actually forbids Paul from preaching the word in Asia. The Holy Spirit speaks. In fact, the uh, Holy Spirit, it says in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit does things that only a person can do. For example, Luke twelve twelve, The Holy Spirit teaches, he will teach you all things, Jesus said. Uh, testify, John 15 twenty six lead and direct in Matthew chapter four. He gives guidance, Mark thirteen, eleven. Uh convicts, John sixteen, seven and eight, and intercede, and we're gonna look at some of these in more detail. But scriptures also talk about lying to the Holy Spirit, insulting the Holy Spirit in Hebrews 10 and blaspheming and so forth. Besides, here's another thing. The Holy Spirit, whenever is mentioned in scripture, is always in the masculine pronoun. He. And that's interesting because in the Greek language, the word for spirit is neither masculine nor feminine. It's a neuter. But whenever the Holy Spirit is mentioned, it's in the... It's in the masculine form. So the Holy Spirit is fully God. And he is also a person. So what about the activities of the Holy Spirit? Well, he is our helper. John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father. And he will send you another helper. That he may be with you forever. Now we focused on the word another. Now this word helper... It's a very interesting word in the Greek text. It's, uh, it's, it's difficult to translate it just by one word. That's why you have different uh, translations, have different uh, words. Uh, my Bible said helper. Some will say comforter. Uh, some will say uh, counselor. You can have encourager, intercessor, exhorter, sympathizer, teacher, advocate. Nuances of all of these are in that Greek word that is, call, that is uh, called paraclete or parakletos. That's the Greek word there. And so this is what the Holy Spirit is. He's all of that. He's our helper, our sympathizer, our counselor, our comforter, our teacher, our advocate. He's our best friend. And he's going to be with us forever. You see, Jesus walked and talked and lived with the disciples. He comforted them. He encouraged them. He taught them. He guided them. He protected them. And now he says, I'm leaving, but there's another helper. And he's going to do the same thing. He's now going to teach you. And he is the one who we have too. He's our best friend. The Holy Spirit. He takes the place of Jesus on earth. And you know there's another reason why you should never refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. Because you would never do that to Jesus. Well why would you do that to the Holy Spirit? They are of the same kind. They are both God. And so we should respect the Holy Spirit, treat him with honor and reverence, and, because he's our helper and comforter, he's our friend for life. He also intercedes for us. Romans eight twenty six says that in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Isn't that amazing? We have help with our prayers. I need help. Sometimes I fall asleep praying. Man, that's terrible. I mean, it raises the question, what part of the day are you giving to the Lord? What's left over at the end of the day? And this amazes me that we have the assurance that God hears our prayers. He's told us in the scriptures to ask. He wants us to commune with him. And now we have the assurance that the Holy Spirit is going to help us in our praying. And still, how little do we pray? This awesome privilege, this line of communication we have with God. And how little we as believers utilize the privilege of prayer. Do you know that um, uh, Muslims pray five times a day? Very faithfully, five times a day. They hardly ever miss that. I remember when we were in India, we would see shutters come down of the stores and people closing and and off they would go to the mosque to pray. In New York City, the taxis will pull over and if you're riding with them, you may have to wait a while because they'll get their prayer out in the middle of the road and they'll start praying. But here's the thing. They don't have any kind of assurance that God is going to hear them. They do it thinking maybe, maybe Allah might. There is no guarantee, no assurance. And here we have the guarantee. We have the assurance that God hears us. We also have the help of the Holy Spirit. And oh, how much we should be praying. In fact, at the end of the lesson, by the way, if you don't have this book, you might want to pick one up. This is the one we are preaching through this summer. Um, And at the end of the lesson, on this lesson number five, talks about prayer and I encourage you to look at it when you go home practicing prayer it gives you a pattern of praying and it's encourage you to do something about your own personal prayer life so the holy spirit intercedes us intercedes he also teaches us throughout his ministry jesus was the source of truth for the disciples that's where they got truth from is from jesus well now jesus is going away and the holy spirit now is the source of truth for the disciples In fact, he's called the spirit of truth in verse 17. Actually, apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no way to know spiritual truth. In fact, 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, Since the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. In other words, all the wisdom in this world. You cannot come to know God. Because it's the Holy Spirit that reveals God to us. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.7, 3, Paul writes to Timothy and talks about mankind always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, people are seeking for truth. And you can check any kind of holy man you want. You can go to India and you can go to the gurus. You can find a sage up in the Himalayas and sit with him and meditate. You're not going to find the truth. Because it's the Holy Spirit. That reveals truth. He teaches us. In fact. It was after the resurrection. That the disciples really caught on to everything. Because the Holy Spirit taught them. And not only that. He brought to remembrance. All the things. That he had. Jesus had said to them. And what did they do? When when the Holy Spirit brought back to remembrance. What did God lead them to do? Right it down. And that's what we have in the Bible today. You see, they wrote down the New Testament. And we have it because the Holy Spirit brought it to their remembrance. They recorded it all for us. The Holy Spirit opens our understanding to spiritual truth. I want us to look at this one passage, Acts 16 and 14. Would you turn there, please? Acts 16 and 14. Paul is preaching And it says in verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, wait a minute, the Lord's not there, it's the Holy Spirit. Open her heart. You see, the Holy Spirit illuminates our understanding whenever we read God's Word. He gives us knowledge and leads us to spiritual maturity. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to understand spiritual things. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says it's foolishness to those who do not have the Holy Spirit. In fact, it is possible for you to read the Bible and not understand it. It is possible for you to read the Bible in all kinds of versions. It is even possible for you to memorize scripture and not get the message if you don't have the presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit in your lives and in your heart. Psalm 119 verse 18. You know what it says? It says, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. He didn't say, help me when I read your word. You don't need any help reading the Bible. Anybody can pick up a Bible and read. But to understand is what the psalmist said, open my eyes. What is he talking about? He's not talking about his physical eyes. He's talking about the eyes of his understanding. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from that law. Have you ever thought about this? The Bible, isn't it amazing? Amazing. I mean, think about how many people have preached from the Bible. Hundreds of years. All over the world. Even as I'm preaching, there are preachers all over this country, Sunday morning, preaching from the Bible. And we keep preaching and preaching and preaching for all these years, all over the world. And yet, we never exhaust the treasures that are in the Bible. What an amazing, amazing book. It's God's Word. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us understand God's Word. And the Holy Spirit is there to teach us. Just like Lydia in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit opened her heart to understand truth. You see, unless you are born again, unless you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, unless you have intentionally made a decision to follow Christ and asked Christ to come into your life, Unless you have placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and obtained salvation and you're indwelt by that Holy Spirit, you will not understand the scripture. And that leads us to our next point is that the Holy Spirit indwells us. That's another thing that the Holy Spirit does. First Corinthians 6, 19. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Wow. Some people think that the Holy Spirit lives in church, in a sanctuary, in an auditorium. The Bible says he does not dwell in temples made with the hands of men. But he dwells in us. And so this morning, here we are together as a group. And guess what? God is here. He is here. Why? Because he is in us. And we are here together as a group. So God is here. And we can worship him. And we can feel his presence And we can encourage one another because together we bring God's presence here collectively, corporately. You know, this is something to think about. Wherever you go, you take God with you. Whatever you are doing, God is with you. And sometimes we forget about that, don't we? Think about it. Wherever you go, wherever you are. God is with you. His presence is in us. He indwells us. When does this indwelling take place, by the way? When does the Holy Spirit come inside someone's life? Well, it happens at salvation. In fact, look at everything that happens at salvation. He brings conviction of sin and unbelief. He draws us to Christ. He regenerates us. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. And he seals us. By the way, baptism... You may have heard something about baptism, that there is some kind of a baptism of the Spirit, or some kind of a second blessing. Well, just tell them, Joel said there's only one baptism. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. Here we go. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of the one spirit. At salvation, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the one body. That's the universal church. And baptism means to dunk. I mean, it means to immerse. You know? So, we are immersed into the body of Christ at salvation. There is only one baptism. You don't need to wait for another. There's no such thing as a second blessing. This is it. It happens at salvation. We are baptized into the body of Christ. And then he seals us in Christ. You know, last week Matt talked about eternal security. And um, he talked about how we are sealed. And this is the verse he used. In fact... I want you to, I'm going to read from this uh, so Brian knows for sure I used the book. Um, lesson number five, it's right there on the first page. And here's the memory verse, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah, we are sealed. It's a distinctive, undeniable, unmistakable guarantee of ownership. I belong to God. The Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sealed. By his Holy Spirit. A seal. That's a guarantee of ownership. Now. This all happens at salvation. When we come to know the Lord. And we are saved. And we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And lastly. He empowers us. Now. What does that mean? Being empowered is to be filled by the Holy Spirit. To be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now so wait a minute. What do you mean being filled? I mean, when I got saved, did I get it all? Did I get 60% and now you're saying be filled with the Holy Spirit? What's the difference between indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit? Let me explain. When you got saved, you got 100%. You got the whole thing. So what is filling? Filling has to do with control. It's allowing God to control your life. To be filled with the Spirit. To be controlled by the Spirit. Look at some examples of people in Scripture where it says they were filled by the Holy Spirit. When we're filled by the Holy Spirit, God uses us in a powerful way. That's being empowered. That's what the filling is all about. Look at these examples from scripture. John the Baptist. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, the scripture says. And he preached. He was the forerunner of Christ. It says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And with his preaching, many turned to God and turned from their ways. How about Elizabeth? The Bible says she was full of the Holy Spirit when she spoke about Mary and the fruit of her womb. How about Zacharias who gave a long prophecy about the Messiah. And he was filled with the Spirit when he did that. Believers at Pentecost as the Spirit descended and filled them. They spoke in languages that they had never learned. They spoke in tongues. That's the real speaking in tongues right there. Speaking a tongue that you've never learned. I wish I had the gift of tongues when I visit some of these foreign countries. Lord, give it to me. I'd like to speak Russian right now. They did it in Acts chapter 2. And Peter addressing antagonistic rulers. The Bible says when the rulers turned against the apostles that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. How about the apostles preaching with boldness during the persecution? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says Paul being filled with the Holy Spirit rebuked the sorcerer who was against his ministry. Paul and Barnabas, it says that in the midst of persecution, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they had joy. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, I stole this from Brad's office. This is a little tract. I just saw it lying there and it's, it, the title was satisfied with a question mark. I said, what's that? He said, read it. Satisfied. Are you Satisfied. With your life. That's what the gist of this tract is. And it talks about the Holy Spirit in here. It says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, Jesus said, and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. What's that mean? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. As you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will impact the lives of others as just like streams of water. It says, God has given us the Spirit so we can experience intimacy with Him. Are you experiencing intimacy with God? Or are you in the doldrums, just spinning the wheel day in and day out? But this little book helps explain that. In fact, uh, this is by Campus Crusade. In fact, it says, you know, there are three kinds of lifestyles. The one lifestyle is a self-centered lifestyle, which was before you came to know Christ. And then you have the Christ-centered lifestyle. But then the third one is also a self-centered lifestyle that you live as a believer. Do you know that as a believer you can live a self-centered lifestyle and just be concerned about you and that's it? It's possible. It's all in here. And we need to be living a lifestyle that is Christ-centered. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Under control of the Holy Spirit. The empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. I grabbed all the tracks I could and they're in this front row. So if you, if you want to take one, come by after service and grab one. I told him I wasn't going to pay him for them. <laughs> it's, it all belongs to the Lord anyway. So there it is. But Ephesians 5, 18. It says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, when you're drunk with wine, you do things that you wouldn't do otherwise. You do foolish things. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you do significant things that you couldn't do otherwise without the power of the Spirit. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17, and that's in the the tract. I pray, this is Paul, this is the passage that Mike read earlier in the service. In fact, the verse before this said, I bend my knees. Paul is getting down on his knees and here is his prayer. To the Ephesians, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The power, that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. The empowering of the Holy Spirit. And Paul literally pleads and says, I'm going to pray that that happens to you. And that's my prayer for you, that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and show God's power in our inner being. I want to share with you a story as I close. This is about a family that were missionaries in India. This is Graham and Gladys Staines, and their uh, three children, Esther, Timothy, and Philip. Graham Staines, they're, from, uh, they're with an a independent Baptist mission. And they were working in India in the state of Urissa. And Graham was working with lepers People who were uh, put away from society. Had a real heart for them. Labored in India for many, many years. On January 23rd, 1999, they were visiting a village in Manoharpur where they used to come every year to do Bible camps where he would sit and read the scriptures with the villagers. And he had mastered their language, by the way. Not only had he learned Uriya, but he had learned Santali, which is the local dialect. And so on January 23, 1999, they came to this village. And they were going to spend the night. There wasn't enough room in the hut. So Gladys and Esther stayed inside the hut. And Graham and his two sons, Timothy and Philip, decided to sleep in the jeep for the night. At one o'clock in the morning, a mob of Hindu extremists found out that Graham was there. And they were upset because some of the lepers had come to know Christ. They were upset because some people had gotten saved. And so they came, and while they were sleeping, they doused the Jeep with the kerosene, gasoline, and set it afire. And Graham and Timothy and Philip were burned to death. They prevented them from coming out with sticks and stones and rods. Their charred bodies were found inside the jeep as daylight broke in an embrace. People said they could hear Timothy and and Philip screaming. They were seven and nine years old. A few days later, on national television, they interviewed his wife Gladys and said, Gladys, what do you have to say to the perpetrators of this horrible crime? And on national TV, Gladys said, I forgive them because that's what Jesus would have done. It literally stunned a nation. Here was a lady filled with the Holy Spirit, who had the power of the Holy Spirit in her inner being so that it could flow out and touch others. You know, this, I was speaking at a conference in Thailand when this happened. And I'll tell you, I was so sick about this incident. I've never been ashamed to say that I'm from India, But that was one time I was ashamed. This was such a dastardly, wicked deed. And do you know that Gladys, actually, they did catch the culprit. He was sentenced to die. Then they changed it to a life sentence. And do you know that Gladys petitioned the judge and asked for his clemency? She wanted him forgiven. That's the power of the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit because we don't know when we will need to display that power. If the time comes, will you be able to display the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Where are you today? How's your walk with the Lord? Are you walking in the Spirit? That's what that track talks about, walking in the Spirit. Letting the power of the Holy Spirit live within you. He is a person. He is a person of the Godhead. And he's with us forever. He's our helper, our comforter, our intercessor. He indwells us. Let's not forget about him. He goes with us wherever we go. God has not left us alone. Just like Jesus told the disciples, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you another just like me. And he's going to be with you forever. Blessed are you who believe and have not seen. I trust that you're encouraged this morning and that this week you will try to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and life and to display its power. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that we can have together in your word. Lord, I just pray that we would not resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives that we would yield on a daily basis and that we would allow you to use us to touch the lives of others. Do that this week, Lord, we pray. We worship you today and what a joy it has been to be with your people in your house, worshiping you, studying your word. Now I pray that you would go before us and prepare the way. And now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.